Please be seated. Once again, let me express my appreciation for being here today and to be with you as we engage in this period where it is our desire to offer up our hearts and our minds before the throne of God in heaven. For our lesson this morning, we're going to continue in the book of Jeremiah, and this time we're going to look at some passages from Jeremiah chapter 29. As God's people, sometimes we are required by God to do things that we think maybe are difficult. And, and that's the situation that we find with respect to God's people who are in captivity. In Jeremiah chapter 29, beginning in verse 4, it says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. Build ye houses, and dwell in them, and plant gardens, and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives, and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that ye may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city, whither I have caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it. For in the peace thereof shall ye have peace." So we find that God said first and foremost that their captivity was by His doing. The situation that had unfolded in their life, God knew all about it. He knew what was going to happen, and He provided for it to happen. He says, I have caused these to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. He then says that their business was to plan for and build their future. That's where you're going to be. Get used to it. You're going to be there in Babylon, start building your homes, start planting your gardens. He said they were to increase and not decrease. Verse 6, he said, take wives and have sons and daughters and then teach your sons to have wives. And he says that you will increase and not diminish. And then he said, now while you're doing that, I want you to look for and I want you to seek peace. I want to think about what is it that God is saying? Seek the peace of the city Therefore shall ye have peace. And that's really the, the title of our lesson today, Seeking the Peace of the City. We note that in, in thinking about peace, peace is something that everybody desires. There's not anyone that says, in effect, I want my life to be turmoil. I want it to be one problem after another. As soon as I deal with this, I want the next one to come along. Nobody says that. Sometimes that's the way it is, but nobody says that. We all want a concept in dealing with peace. And when we think about peace, we're thinking about the removal of adversity and the accompanying fear and anxiety that goes with it. So, we think about someone like Moses, when Moses had to deal with the problems that beset them, and we think about the counsel that was given to him by his father-in-law Jethro in Exodus chapter 18 and in verse 23. Exodus chapter 18 and in verse 23. Moses says, excuse me, Jethro says to Moses, he said, If thou shalt do this thing, and God command thee so, then thou shalt be able to endure, and all this people also go to their place in peace. What is Jethro saying? He's saying, if you'll just do what God says, if you'll just do what God says, that's just too easy. 
You know, what is our counsel usually to people when they have problems? They say, well, let's look to God's Word. What does God say we need to do? If We'll just do what God says. And oftentimes, the response of people is, well, I already knew God wanted me to do that, but I'm looking for something different. Jethro said, if God commands it and you do it, there's going to be peace. It's interesting to look at this character, Jethro. He understood He understood the value of a relationship with God. He understood the value of God's Word. He understood the value of obedience. And I think Moses understood that too. But every once in a while, we just need another voice to say, if God said it, just do it. Don't worry about it. And I think that's in effect exactly what Jethro was telling Moses. We find that God's promise is always to be a promise of peace. The psalmist in Psalm 4, beginning in verse 4, it says, Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There may be many that say, Who will show us any good? Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. For thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. The psalmist clearly understood, and there could be commotion going on everywhere. But if I'll do what the Lord says, the Lord guarantees that things are going to work out. And in that respect, I can have peace. No matter where I'm at, I can have peace. It's not difficult to think about the situation with Jesus and the disciples when they're in the boat and there's that tempest. And the disciples say, Lord, care us all not that we perish. And Jesus just said, peace, be still. You know, what's a simple lesson from that? Anywhere we're following the Lord and following His commands, He's in charge. And peace is going to be the end result of that. We think about Jesus' promise to His followers as we consider again what John records for us. In John chapter 14, beginning in verse 27, It says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So we have to understand one thing. When the Lord's talking about peace, it's not the same as the world is talking about peace. The Lord's peace comes about because we're no longer wrestling with Him, we're no longer His enemy, and we have a guaranteed end. The passage we read uh, from Jeremiah chapter 29 in, in the Scripture reading, God says, I have an expected end for you. God's got a plan. Every single person here, God's got a plan for you. That plan is to be with Him in eternity. The God of the universe desires eternal fellowship with you. And He's working His plan while you live here. He's working His plan so that as you fulfill His will, when this life is over, with all of its turmoil and all of its troubles, you have eternity with Him. Blessed are the dead that die in the Lord, yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors henceforth. That's what we're told in the book of Revelation. There's going to be rest. There's going to be peace. No more anxiety. No more turmoil. So the peace that God is, is promising us is different from the peace of the world. The world thinks of peace as, I'm not fighting with you and you're not fighting with me. And the Lord is is telling the people here that are going into captivity, there's still going to be problems. Physical problems are still going to exist. Spiritual problems are going to be resolved by those, in effect, that follow me. 
Jesus went on to say again in John's Gospel, in John chapter 16 and in verse 33, He said, These things I have spoken unto you, that in Me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. There should be a comfort in looking at God's Word in realizing God is in control of all time. You know, we're limited by time. We're limited by flesh and blood. We think about today, we think about tomorrow, we think about noon, we think about time. We have clocks. We're we're confined by time. God's not confined by time. And so you go and you look at passages where God in the past spoke about the future as the present. Jesus said, I have overcome. He hadn't died yet. He hadn't been crucified. He hadn't been resurrected. How could he say, present tense, I have overcome? Well, it's God. He already knew it was going to happen. He already knew how it was going to unfold. He already knew the victory was guaranteed. What message is God just constantly feeding us? The victory is already there. All you have to do is cross the finish line. You don't have to worry about anything else. It's already guaranteed for you. So God tells us things in the present about the future. But we keep thinking it's yet off, and God says, no, 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 no. It's guaranteed. You ever dealt with that person who, in effect, when you're telling them about your troubles, they go, don't worry, I've got to take care of them. Well, what about this? I've got to take care of it. Don't worry about it. What is God telling us in his word? We say, God, I'm worried about this. I'm concerned about that. This is happening and that's happening. God's saying, don't worry about it. I've got to take care of it. And we just, we don't hear that message at all. Jesus said, you're going to have tribulation. Don't worry about it. I've already overcome. And so as his disciples, that has to be our goal in this life. Is it hard? Yeah, of course it's hard. Is this life easy? No, it's not easy. And again, in thinking about our culture, we want all the easy things, and God says, you you don't get to deal with the difficult things by constantly dealing with the easy things. You deal with the difficult things. The reward of heaven is, is going to be worth it for those people who endure. The crown of victory, in effect, is waiting for us. So, Jesus tells us that, in effect, there's two types of peace. There's the peace of the world, and there's the peace of God, and we're going to focus in dealing with the peace of God. The peace of the world comes when we, in effect, give up and give in. But the peace of the world comes when we overcome the world. In, in thinking about these verses that we have, we recognize, first and foremost, that these people were in captivity. He says, I want you to go and I want you to preach to the people who are taken captive. Now, you and I don't know much about captivity. I don't think we do. Uh, I don't know if anybody here is a veteran who's ever been a prisoner of war. You, you might know about captivity. I don't know anybody here in your background, if there's someone here who maybe had been in prison, maybe you know something about captivity. About the idea of being taken against your will and put somewhere where you didn't want to be and you can't get out. And you're stuck. And so, he says to these people, uh, he says to Jeremiah, I want you to go, I want you to talk to those people. They're not where they want to be. They don't like where they're at, and they're stuck there. In effect, what he says is, I want you to tell them, get on with life. Just get on with it. Stop thinking about why you're here. Stop thinking about what caused you to be here. Stop thinking about the fact that you're here instead of there. You're in Babylon, you're not in Jerusalem. Stop all that. That's not going to get you anywhere because you're not leaving. Spending all your time being frustrated by the fact that you're in Babylon when you want to be in Jerusalem doesn't get you to Jerusalem. It leaves you in Babylon and it leaves you miserable. And I think one of the messages that God is saying is you need to deal with the problems of today and stop thinking about yesterday. We love nostalgia. 
And nostalgia is comfort, comforting. It's a nice place to live because everything in Nostalgiaville is much better than it is today. But you can't live there because there's no tomorrow. Tomorrow comes after today. We've got to live in today. And so God, in effect, is telling the captives, you're there, and guess what? I put you there. Now, you're where you need to be. Wherever you're at, you're where you need to be. Stop focusing on where you'd like to be or where you think you should be and start living where you're at. And so the people were there and and God tells them, in effect, you're there because I wanted you to be there. How is that possible? Well, first off, God had promised long, long ago. You know, if there's any Old Testament, if I could suggest some Old Testament passages that you would study, study Deuteronomy chapter 28. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 28, God spends about 15 verses saying, if you'll obey me, here's all the wonderful things that are going to happen. But then right around verse 16, he says, but if not. And then through the rest of the chapter, it's a long chapter, God said, here's what's going to happen if you don't obey me. Here's what's going to happen. And in effect, God lays it out and God says, I want you to see how miserable life is going to be. I don't want you to disobey, so I'm going to tell you how miserable life is going to be. Look at what it says beginning in verse 58. He says, If thou will not observe to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that thou mayest fear this glorious and fearful name, the Lord thy God, then the Lord will make thy plagues wonderful, the plagues of thy seed, even great plagues of long continuance and sore sickness and of long continuance. Moreover, he will bring upon thee all the diseases of Egypt, which thou wast afraid of, and they shall cleave unto thee. You know, sometimes words are used and they present this image. A disease that's going to cleave. You ever had a little one that's hanging on your leg and they just you move it around the house and they won't let go and you put them down on the floor and they cry and they stand up and they grab back on your leg? God says... These diseases are going to cleave to you. You won't get rid of them. He says, I'm going to make it that way. If you sin, he's presenting this picture that is an ugly picture. He wants them to know, if you do this, here's what you can expect. Verse 61, also every sickness and every plague, which is not written in the book of this law. You see the things I've told you about before? You don't like those? I've got more. You know, when we talked this morning about running with the footman and and dealing with the wrath of God, what God can imagine is nothing when we think about what we can imagine. We're so limited. God's imagination is so far superior. He created everything. You know, we couldn't think of the planet. You think about just your body. You think about the fact, the difference between a person who is alive and a person who is dead. And it's just amazing to me to think about our brother Reggie, that one moment he was living and breathing and the next moment he's dead. What element was there in him in that one moment that made a live person dead? It's the same flesh, the same blood, the same uh, properties in his body. What was put in him that made him alive? Well, that's part of God's creation. And that whatever that element was in that moment, it's taken away. And now all that there was that made him alive is now gone. And we can't undo that. You think about all of creation, but even just thinking about the human body and its complexity of how things work. It's just, it's awe-inspiring. God's imagination far exceeds ours. And there are some ugly things happening in the world today. But when you look at what God says here, He says, everything that's been told, I've got more that I haven't even told you about yet. 
Then he says in verse 62, And ye shall be left few in number, whereas as ye were as the stars of heaven for multitude, because thou wouldst not obey the voice of the Lord thy God, it shall come to pass that as the Lord rejoiced over you to do you good and to multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and to bring you not, and ye shall be plucked from the land whither thou goest to possess it, and the Lord shall scatter thee among all people from one end of the earth even unto the other, and there thou shalt serve other gods which neither thou nor thy fathers have known even wood and stone. He says, I'm going to take you up and I'm going to fling you away. You know, when we get rid of something we don't want, we throw it out in the garbage. And God said, I've been teaching you, you're my people, you're my special people, you're holy, everybody else is defiled. And he says, when you live like the people of the world, I'm casting you. They're the refuse, that's where you're going. And so when you look at the situation that exists during the time of Jeremiah, God is telling them, you're where you are because I promised that's what I was going to do. God always fulfills His promises. God never lies. If He says He's going to do something, He's going to do it. The positive of that is, if He says we get a crown of life for being faithful unto Him until death, we get a crown of life. If He says, disobey me and you will suffer the consequences, don't think that God's going to renege on that. We're, we're such foolish people sometimes as humankind. We think... God will give us the good things. He won't give us the bad things. He told them. He spent the majority. 80% of Deuteronomy 28 is the negative stuff. He said, I'm telling you this because I don't want you to have to deal with it, but I'll do it. As a parent, you ever said, don't make me. (laughs) Well, that's what God was saying, don't make me. And you know what they said? They said, well, we don't think you will. And God did. God wanted them there. You're now fulfilling my promise. I said I was going to do it. And I did it. We find that he commanded them, in effect, what to do. He said, you need to do exactly as I've told you to do. You need to go, in Jeremiah 29 and and verse 5, he said, I want you to start building houses. I want you to start planting gardens. I want you to start having families. And then he gave them a promise. He said, when you do that, you're going to have peace. When we stop worrying about the why it happened, and we start dealing with getting back to obeying God... We don't have that anxiety anymore. Now, everybody's probably had something in their life. Why did this happen? That consumes you. It eats you up. It's not difficult for me to think about our son and when he was afflicted with uh, ulcerative colitis and it ate him up. It it literally, you know, he went from a a healthy boy of of 14 or 15 to, to almost a cadaver and watching him laying in bed at Children's Hospital in Akron, and thinking that he was going to die. And that why question was there. Why? Why him? What did he do to deserve that? You've got to get past the why, because sometimes the why is simply, that's life. Someone's going to get sick. It was your child this time. Another time, it's somebody else's. Now you look at our son today. You'd never know he was sick. I'm proud of my children thankful that God has blessed me with children like that. And when I see others in that situation, I often think, I really wish I could give you what I've got now. I'm beyond that point. We got past all the whys and we began saying, okay, let's deal with the problem that we got. Let's deal with this problem that's at hand. Let's begin to live again. Let's begin, when Brian got out of the hospital, you know, he couldn't eat for, for a while. And so we said, what do you want? He said, want pizza. I thought, pizza? 
That's be the worst thing for your stomach. He said, well, I'd like pizza, Dad. He said, I've been dreaming of pizza. We got pizza. And he ate pizza. And he loved pizza. We began living again. And what God has said is, look, you're where you are because of my word. Stop dealing with the why and, in effect, start living. So how do we apply these verses in thinking about ourselves today? You know, uh, what if I'm in a situation that I didn't choose? You know, I'm unhappy. I've got this uncomfortable job. I really hate this job. I really hate the people I'm working with. I don't like the place where I'm working. I live in a place I don't like. What am I going to do, in in effect, about that? What if I'm in a situation that I didn't deserve? You know, I'm single. I don't want to be single. Boy, I really wish I could be married. I wish I could be married and have kids. And and I'm not that way. I'm away from my family. I'm someplace where I don't want to be. If you've ever been in the service, boy, I can tell you, I remember I wanted to go into the service because I wanted to leave home. I wanted to get out of Boston. I wanted to get out of Charlestown. And so I went into the Air Force, and I remember that first night that I was in basic training. And I'm with these guys, and they're from New York, and they're from Detroit, and they're all just just tough guys, you know. They're tough. I was 17. I knew I wasn't tough, so I had a little bit of advantage on them. I didn't have to act tough. There are all these guys, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the training instructor says to us, everybody, uh, this first night, we'll let you go downstairs, and you can all give a phone call home. You've got two minutes. So I remember this guy from Detroit. He was just a tough guy. Dialed the phone down. I do this because we had rotary phones back then. And he goes, Hi, Mom. I missed you. And we were all standing. And I thought, all these tough guys, we're all crying, you know. Because all of a sudden we realized, I didn't know it was going to be like this. Now I'm somewhere where I don't want to be and I can't get out. And you have to deal with life as it is. What if I'm in a situation, I really didn't deserve this. I'm a good person. I want to be somewhere different than where I am right now. What if I'm a faithful servant of God, but I still have difficulty in my life? I pray, I study the Bible, I go to worship, I go to Bible study, I help people. I'm dealing with all of these things. You know who was among the captives? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Nehemiah, Ezra, Esther, These were people who were the captives. Faithful children of God. And God's message to them, start living. Get past the why are we here and start doing the things that make for living a faithful life. Stop living in Miseryville, in Whyville, and start living today and doing the things that that in effect need to be done. God was not overlooking their suffering and God wasn't overlooking the fact that they were enduring difficulty, but God was saying, until you get past that point, you really don't have a life. You know, you don't have a life of getting up every day, dreading every day. You've got to find the good things that God has provided and enjoying, you know, having a garden. I'm not a garden person, but we're going to have a garden next year. We're going to try having a garden. We live in a community where everybody has a garden. And every year we get tomatoes from and we get uh, get, uh, uh, cucumbers and we get all these things. And I'm thinking, you know, I need to try that. I need to do that once. I need to go ahead and do a garden and grow some corn and grow some tomato and and things like that so I can see what it's like. And maybe, maybe I'll learn to like it. You know, I grew up in the city. You know, I used to go to the museum to see what grass was. So I grew up in the city and we had sidewalks. We didn't have lawns. We didn't have grass. 
So now I'm in a community where it's just the opposite. You know, grass and everywhere and gravel roads. And everybody's got a farm. And everybody's got a garden. And when they say garden, you know, I think of garden like, you know, PBS, the Victory Garden. you got this little plot. They say garden. They're talking about this whole area that's out here that's taken up an acre. And God's saying to the captives, He said, I want you to go ahead and start planting gardens. Make yourself busy. Do something that, that illustrates the idea of, of life growing. Does this mean that if I'm sick and single and I'm in a bad job, I'm unhappy, I'm in a bad situation, that God put me there? I don't think it means that. I don't think it means if I'm enduring misery in my life that God wants me to endure misery. I think in a very simple sense what it means is that God is saying, you're here, now I believe in your potential to get out of that, to get something out of it that in effect is is good for you. So I don't think that it means, for them we know because that was part of God's promise. We don't know what God wants as far as the promises in our life. But I can guarantee, and maybe if you'll look back on your life, I can guarantee that if you'll look back on your life, you'll see that some of the difficult things were good for you to have endured because they made you a better person, but even more than that, they taught you, I can do it. Now, Greg's been to Russia, and I've been to Russia. Let me tell you, when I went to Russia, I was afraid. I was afraid. I was in the military. My job in the military was in intelligence work. And do you know who we were spying on? We were spying on the Russians. That was part of my job. So my thought in dealing with the Russians were these are people that are bad people. Because that's what we were taught growing up. If you were a little kid when I was growing up, you were taught how to drop, duck, drop, and roll. We used to do that underneath the seats. Like that's going to save us from a, a nuclear blast getting under a wooden seat. But we were taught to do that. My apartment complex had one of those black signs with the three yellow uh, triangles on it that you went into that basement if something was going on. So I'm going to Russia, and I'm thinking about the fact that these are our enemy. And then I'm going to a place that's a third world country, had never experienced that before. Get on a trolley car where you're face-to-face with people. No, there's no seat there. You're standing, and no one's moving, and you can't get out. And then there's no signs for anything. You know, you get off at Main Street, or you get off at Walnut Street, or Maple Street, whatever it is. There's no signs to get off. I was afraid in Russia. But I met my counterpart. I met a guy in Moscow whose job it was to put his finger on the button. He was the child of God. So, if there could be faithful people in Russia... And there can be faithful people in the United States, and there can be faithful people in in Germany, and there can be faithful people in South Africa. God's word can grow. And in effect, that's what God is telling the captives. He said, you're here now. Get about the business of representing me. Get about the business of being the people that I want you to be. So I think, in in one respect, what God is telling us is that we're going to have to deal with some difficulties in life, And even when I didn't choose them, or even when I don't deserve them, I still am going to have to deal with them. And I think further beyond that, what he's saying is, don't put off living while I'm dealing with life's difficulties. It's easy for us to shut down. And in some respects, maybe it's even a defensive mechanism. But God is telling us, don't do that. Don't shut down. Have enough faith in God to try and to move forward. Add to life. Don't diminish from life. 
Seek the Lord's peace and not the peace of the world. The Lord's peace is hard work. We don't like hard work. We like easy work. But God is telling us there's hard work in being my child. Jesus said that to the disciples. They're not going to listen to you. If they didn't listen to me, they won't listen to you. If they punish me, they're going to punish you. He said, that's the way, in effect, the world works. He says, but there's something that's going to happen. As you're seeking peace, you scatter peace. Verse 7, seek the peace of the city, whether I've caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it, for in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. As you're doing God's will, you're showing people there's a different way to live, because everybody out there is complaining and whining about how bad things are. Everybody out there is having to deal with the problems of life. It's the way that I react that is going to separate me from the rest of the people of the world. We need to remind ourselves that God is watching over us. It's a reminder of His providential care. In fact, when you think about it, this older version here of of, uh, PowerPoint doesn't like my, my newer version, I guess, but... If you could read that line, I'll interpret it for you. God sent Jeremiah and Ezekiel to his people to let them know he had not forgotten them and still desired their fellowship. So Ezekiel was taken into captivity. Jeremiah was left behind. So you've got the people of Judah now separated. You've got that group that's left in Jerusalem that's struggling. And eventually Jeremiah gets taken into captivity and he himself ends up going to Egypt. They they all leave and take him with them. And then you've got the group that's in Babylon and Ezekiel's with them. So God said, my word's going to go with you wherever you go. That's how much God wanted them to know. I'm not giving up on you. My word will be with you. My word is going to go forth, and my word always does exactly what I want it to do. God is also telling them that you can prosper while you wait. He's going to return them. They don't know when it's going to be, but he's going to return them. And he's saying, while you're waiting for me, It could bring you back. You can go ahead and you can prosper. Abraham left his home, he went to the promised land, and he continued to look for heaven. When you look at the the book of Hebrews, you look at Hebrews chapter 11, and here you look at uh, verses 8 through 16. He says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whether he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed, and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky and multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better country that is a heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He hath prepared for them a city." This is not our home. You might have a nice house, and I hope you do. And you might live in a nice neighborhood, and I hope you do. And you might enjoy your city, and I hope you do. I hope you like living where you live, but it's not your home. That's our home up there. 
They thought Jerusalem was their home. And God sent them to Babylon. And what God was saying is, neither one is your home. Abraham understood that. That's why Abraham could leave and he could sojourn because he understood there's a better place. And that's what God's Word is trying to do. It's trying to prepare us for the better place. Don't get bogged down in the here and now in thinking about this as our eternity. God says, I've got a better place. I've got a place that's not made with human hands. I love that phrase that we find in the Scriptures, without human hands. What it's telling us is God did it. So when Paul in Colossians talks about uh, the circumcision made without hands, God does it. That place in the heavens that's made without hands, God's place, not man's place. God's saying, I've got a better place prepared than what you can imagine because God's ability to imagine things is far greater than ours. Paul likewise said, live as best as you can in effect until then. And so uh, looking at what Paul mentions in Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 20, According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose I wot not. I am in a strait between the two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. Paul said, I know where the better place is to be. The better place is to be in heaven. But God wants me to be here right now. So I'm going to be here right now, and I'm going to do the best I can for you and for me and for him. And I think that's God's message in effect for us today. Don't put off living now because life isn't what you planned. Many want the ideal moment, but the ideal moment rarely comes. Don't stop living until things get better. Things will get better when you start living. I know that's, you know, pedantic. I know that's kind of trite. But that's exactly what God is saying. He's saying, get about the business of living. Stop thinking about what you don't have. And start thinking about what you do have. We sing that song, Count Your Many Blessings. That's a valid point. Stop thinking about the things that aren't and think about the things in effect that are. It's the same with salvation. Don't put it off for a better time. Today is the day. Now is the time in in being saved. And isn't this exactly what Jesus is saying? He says, don't stop living while dealing with life's difficulties. So in uh, Matthew chapter 6, some verses I know that you're probably very familiar with. Matthew chapter 6, beginning there in verse 25, he said, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought of your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body what you shall put on. It's not the life more than meat and the body than raiment. So he's saying, don't be worrying about all these things. Start thinking about what God, in effect, wants you to think about. So then he says in verses 31 through 34, Therefore take no thought, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So he's telling us, begin to think about all the godly things that we need to think about. He's telling us, uh, in effect, uh, plan to add to life and not diminish from it. So we go forth and we, we spread the seed. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. We seek the Lord's peace. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. He is the Prince of Peace. 
He is the one who holds peace. He is the one who crafted peace. He is the one in whom peace resides. If we seek real peace, we're going to seek it from Him. As you're seeking peace, scatter peace. In Matthew chapter 5, He talks about us as salt. He talks about us as light. You're the salt of the earth, verse 13. If the salt have lost its savor, wherever it shall be salted, it sends forth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bush, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Jesus is saying... You're that light. I put you there because I want you to be a light. Start being a light. I put you there because I need salt. Be salt. I I put you there not to hide, but to be open. Let people know who you are and who you serve. And we think about it from a standpoint of the fact that God is watching over us. Hebrews 13, I'm going to be with you wherever you go. You go into captivity, I'll be there with you in captivity. You feel lonely, I'm there with you. You feel like life isn't working the way you wanted it? Hey, I know what you're talking about. I'd like to have everybody faithful, but that's not the way it works. They get to choose, and I have to judge them in the end. God's Word continues to encourage and direct us. That's what Jesus is telling us. His Word is going to go with us. When those captives went, how did God illustrate that? Ezekiel, Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah. All of those who are faithful to God. We're speaking up. Even some we didn't know about. You know, the situation with Esther is being kept quiet. She's not telling anybody who she is. She's working on behalf of her her people with her uncle Mordecai. But she's not telling everybody she's a Jew because of uh, the edict that's gone out and, and wanting to get the Jews destroyed. So she's working in secret. So God's got people all over the place. And that includes us. And we think about it because no matter where we are, this isn't our real home. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. The people who were in captivity experienced real hardship. And God was not ignoring the fact that they experienced difficulty, that they experienced sadness, that they experienced hurt, that they were dealing with pain. And his remedy for them was you can still have a life in peace by seeking to live the best of your ability and serving him. And not giving up and living in misery, but dealing with life as it is dealt to you. You know, sometimes we just say, you, you play the hand you've been dealt. Maybe someone's got a better hand. You know, I often think about Jesus coming to Peter at the end of John's Gospel. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And then Peter says, what about him? Pointing to John. And Jesus in effect rebuked him and said, if I will that he lives till I come, what is that to you? Did John have a better life than Peter? Well, I think historically he did. He is living longer than anybody else. But Jesus said, I've got a plan for him and I've got a plan for you. You know what your plan is. Go about and do it and don't worry about this guy. What Satan does is Satan says, look at that person over there. Their life's better than yours. Why is that? What's God doing in allowing them to have a better life? And Jesus said, don't do that. That's part of his arsenal to get you to focus on someone else. Focus on Jesus. Focus on God. 
believing in God's promises and deal with the life that you have now. And God says, I promise you, things will get better and you will have the peace that I'm promising you. And we think about the peace that God said. In Jeremiah 29, verse 11, I know you, I know the thoughts I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. There's an expected end for everyone And that expected end, God expects that we can live in such a way that we can have a heavenly abode with Him. And the same message to those in sin, seek the Lord's way of peace. Don't just give in to the world. Seek the Lord's way of peace. It's going to be difficult. You're going to have to admit that you've got sin in your life. You're going to have to repent of that sin. Believing Jesus to be the Christ, you're going to have to confess Him as Christ and then be baptized for the mission of your sins. You're going to have to do some things that the Lord says need to be done that maybe the people of the world say don't need to be done. But then you get the promises of God. You get the peace that God provides. You get redemption from sin. You get to be named as a child of God. And you have heaven, in effect, as your home. Don't put off obeying the gospel of Christ until you think there's a better time. Because the fact of the matter is that we're all seeking the same thing. We're all seeking that heavenly city that is made available to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. What about you this morning? Are you allowing life to make you miserable? Are you allowing life to cause you to constantly ask why? God says, I've told you why. Sin's in the world. Sin's made things bad. But you can overcome sin through Jesus Christ. That's a simple message, but that's really the theme of the Bible. You can overcome by following my word. Today that word is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you're not a child of God, if you'll believe that Jesus is the Christ, if you'll confess Him as such, repent of your sins, and be baptized for the mission of your sins, God promises to take away all of your sins through the blood of Jesus Christ, cleanse your soul spotless and free, claim you as His child. And then with His Word as the only safe and secure guide, God promises that it will lead you unto the heavenly gates, to that city made without hands. As a child of God, if you're allowing the world to pressure you down, God says, I'm confident in you that you can live and that you can enjoy life now because you've got something far better waiting for you. And if there's anyone we can help to obey the gospel this morning, please let us know while we stand and while we sing.